beautiful. Thank you, Terry. How is the church family doing tonight? You guys good? Awesome. Let's all stand as we tonight by the reading of Psalm 102, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayers, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I know a lot of us have have been in that situation this week, Lord God, where we make a cry of our heart to you, Lord, and we're waiting on an answer, Lord. And sometimes it's not speedily, Lord. It's in your timing. And I pray if anyone is in this place tonight who is uh, just growing weary or growing tired, Lord God, and waiting on your call or your answer, Lord God. I pray that you would continue to give hope, to give inspiration, to give uh, a longing for your heart that would draw us near to you and would keep us walking in your path, Lord God. We thank you that you've made this place, that we can come and assemble with other believers, Lord, and be lifted up by your spirit, Lord. And as we worship you tonight, may you receive the glory that you deserve, Father. Be with everything that is said in this place, God. Bring hope upon this place, we pray. And all of God's believers agreed by saying, amen. Why don't you guys turn around and say hello, and then we will worship.
to hear what you would say, a word of God speak, would you pour down my rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place.
stand and testify Lift up his name on high We are forgiven
addiction, depression, and fear. Forgotten, abandoned in tears. You are forgiven and free, and you will overcome. Selfishness, anger, and pride. Lonely and broken inside. You are forgiven and free, you will overcome. You are forgiven and free, and you will
God bless you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good job, Richard. <laughs> Let's all take a moment to check out this week's announcements. Warning. The following bit contains talk about married couples. We are not a married couple, nor looking to be a married couple. Because honestly, I heard marriage is hard. Can't believe we just got married. Yes, but where's, where's my ring? Uh, that, that's on layaway. Man, I always don't get my We're going to be the perfect married couple. We're never going to fight. We're going to be so great. Together forever. Hey, should we check out the married couple's Bible study? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah, I think we should. Maybe we'll meet a married couple there because we don't have any married friends. I hope the food is uh, good. It's Tuesday nights at 6.30, so we're off at work by then. It'll be fine. Word. You want to go? Uh, um, yeah, sure. Whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Whatever you say. Were you even paying attention to anything I just said? Uh, of course. Always. What day did I say the married couple's Bible study was? Uh, uh, you said Wednesday. Wednesday. What time did I say? 8 a.m. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. I said Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You don't listen to a word I say. But are, are, we, are we still going to get ice cream? Please? I want, I want a vanilla. Hey guys, did you know Packing House Christian Academy started enrollment for ages junior K to 12th grade? If you would like to apply, come to the school office or apply online at packinghouseacademy.org. Hey, guess what? Packing House Fun Facts!
Hey, did you know that this is where we used to hold all of our church services? And that this used to be a citrus packing house? Oh, that explains the truck in the lobby. Yeah, but now it's where Packing House Christian Academy takes place. They have chapel right there, there's classrooms and lockers. Like we were just talking about, open enrollment. All right. So you're learning more about the Packing House every weekend. It's awesome. <laughs> well, just a reminder that uh, for anybody who might be new, we hear this every week, but we want to make sure everyone knows that there is open communion set up throughout the sanctuary, and you can partake of it at any time. And if you want to support the ministry here at the Packing House, we do have offering uh, boxes located in the back of the, the church and also in the foyer. And uh, before Pastor Ed comes out to share tonight's blessed award, let's have a moment of prayer and ask the Lord to minister to our hearts. Father, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be able to be in this place, to be able to worship your name, to study your word, to hear your truth, and to have your grace poured out upon each one of us, Lord. We come tonight as a family, as a body of Christ, Lord, longing to hear what you have for us tonight, Lord, in this place. God, be with Pastor Ed. Give him the strength. Give him the word directly from you to pour upon our hearts. Lord God, we thank you for his faithfulness and ask you to just continue to bless him and uh, be a blessing to this congregation. We pray that you would have your way in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Robert. And thanks, Terry. That was beautiful. If you grab your Bibles or your iPhones and turn them on, we're in a different era, aren't we? We're in Acts chapter 12, verse 18. And if you wouldn't mind standing with me, if you can. Acts 12, 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from there to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and made, having made Blastus the king's personal aide their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on a certain day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you that you have recorded these things of history for us to read and to understand and grow in the knowledge and wisdom of you. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might leave this place differently than the way we came in. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. You may be seated, please. 
Well, I love the kid's story about the proud woodpecker that was uh, tapping away at a big old pine tree one day when the sky unexpectedly turned black and clouds rolled in and light and thunder began to roll. And uh, undaunted, he kept right on pecking away at the pine tree. But finally, uh, lightning started hitting all around and one big lightning bolt hit the pine tree and shattered it into thousands of toothpicks. And the woodpecker wasn't hurt, though, and he's flying around looking at it and wondering, and finally he said, hey, to all the rest of the birds, look what I did, look what I did. It's a uh, dangerous thing, pride. The sin of pride could get any of us. Uh, Look what God did is what he should have been shouting. So that's really the backstory of what's going on here in Acts chapter 12. If you're just joining us, we'll try and give you a little thumbnail background so you know where we are, help you catch up with where we are. The book of Acts is following really a, a formula that Jesus gave in the first chapter. He said the gospel was to go out to the whole world in Jerusalem and Judea, right around the city of Jerusalem, and and then to Samaria, the northern part of Israel, and then to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is actually divided up into those three categories. The first seven chapters are about the gospel going to Jerusalem and Judea. And then Eight is Samaria, and then up through 12, and then 13 to 28, which we're about ready to go in next time, next week, the uttermost parts of the earth. So we've been studying along here, and every time in the book of Acts there's a wave of persecution that comes, it pushes the gospel, the good news, out a little further. And we saw that happen when Saul came in and started persecuting all the Christians and carrying them off. Actually, he went, was on his way to Damascus when he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, Syria, and knocked off his horse. He groped around into the city of Damascus, and uh, God sent a, a man named Ananias to pray for him, and he regained his sight. And, uh, but the gospel had traveled uh, into this man's heart And by the time he got back to Jerusalem, uh, he was a changed man. And uh, then we saw that there was this persecution that came to Peter and John when they went up on the Temple Mount to preach. They got arrested. Uh, An angel came and released them. And uh, that really um, made the Sanhedrin, the the Supreme Court in Jerusalem, uh, upset. Well, um, then... We saw last time in the opening chapter, verses of chapter 12, that uh, Herod himself, the king, Herod Agrippa I, decided he wanted to please the Jewish people under him, and so he arrested Peter and James. First he arrested James, the apostle James, the brother of John, and uh, he had him killed, murdered with a sword, and uh, pretty gruesome. He was uh, 
cut in half according to a couple of early church historians. Eusebius said he was cut in half from top to bottom, and I won't try and explain that any more than just say that. Uh, Herod got the reaction that he wanted when James was killed from the Jews. He wanted to be uh, thought of as the guy that was for the Jews, and so that's when he had Peter arrested. Peter is uh, thrown in prison, and uh, he's getting ready to execute him after Passover, but the, uh, instead, God sent an angel in an awesome, miraculous event. Angel comes. Uh, he's in chains between two soldiers, and the angel pops the chains off his wrists, leaving the chains on the wrists of the soldiers, evidently, and then Pan walked him out through the gate, and, uh, and it's a fun story as he goes and the, he goes into the upper room where uh, the uh, Last Supper had taken place, where, in fact, the same place that uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, had taken place, and they met there and prayed. So um, they were praying for Peter's release, and he came to the front door. And you can go back and read it if you miss it. It's a lot of fun. So now this short short section we come to at the end of chapter 12 is really the end of the second third of the book of Acts. First seven verses, the first third around Jerusalem and Judea, the the second set uh, from chapter 8 through where we are right now, and then next week we'll go into chapter 13 so you can read ahead and see the gospel going out to the whole world. Um, this section breaks up into three parts, too. 18 through 19 is the guards who would die, and then uh, pride is going to die, we just read about in 20 through 23, and then uh, the Word of God continues to grow, 25, 24 and 25. So that's where we're going. Here we go, verse 18. Then, as soon as it was day, daylight, There was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. So this is the day after Peter had been broken out, if you will, of the prison by the angel. And the soldiers were in serious trouble. Peter was gone, and they didn't know how he had freed himself. As I said, they're still in chains. So these two soldiers were chained to him, but we were told there were four quatrons, the the Greek word means that four groups of four. So there were 16 soldiers guarding the jail, and he still got away, and nobody could figure out how he'd gotten out. Herod's furious, and uh, his prized prisoner had escaped. Verse 19, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, evidently making sure he wasn't hiding out somewhere inside the prison, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down to Judea, from Judea to Caesarea, and stayed there. Um, Herod searched for them, no doubt, you know, a hastened one. But then he examined the guards. He summoned the guards and heard an impossible account of how Peter, how he turned up missing. They said, well, his chains must have fallen off because here we are. And Herod was a, a pragmatic man, didn't believe in God. And uh, he said, miracles don't happen. That's not possible. 
this idea of a supernatural event <laughs> didn't set in his mind for longer than a nanosecond. Um, because to allow for the miraculous means that there must be a God. And if there's a God who is moral, then he must hold us responsible for our sins. And that's the last thing we'd ever want to do if we admit, as we were an atheist, that God was there and still working in planet Earth today. Sound familiar? <laughs> I said those very words probably before I became a Christian. It requires humility. It requires submission to God. That was, requires us to ask for forgiveness, which when we're full of pride, as this man was, we're not willing to do. Too much responsibility. It's too embarrassing. <laughs> too inconvenient. So the guards were put to death. That's the Justinian Code, it's called. Rome ran its government by it. Uh, any guard who allowed a prisoner to escape must suffer the same penalty that was awaiting the prisoner. Uh, Herod's upset, so he has all 16 of these guards evidently killed because Peter got away. Well, he's upset, and he rides away on down to Caesarea by the sea. He goes to the beach. It's... Uh, we know exactly when it is because secular history also records the death of Herod Agrippa, and it was in August of 44. Uh, so he goes down to the beach in the summer. That's where his summer palace was. He went down to, from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. It was the Roman seat of government in Israel. Uh, it's hot, late summer, and... Uh, that's where he goes. Not too surprising why he'd want to be there. That's the amphitheater that he is about ready to speak in, and there's a better shot of it. Uh, in this picture, I took from Herod's palace. So his palace is just a half a block from there. And this is... Uh, the Romans had built this harbor... It, it wasn't natural, by a newfound uh, way of pouring cement underwater and making it harden. It's really kind of ingenious, but this was the first place in the world that concrete was ever made with burnt limestone. And somehow they figured out if they took the burnt limestone ash from Mount Vesuvius in Italy and mixed it with cement and water, it would go off underwater, and, and, uh, and you'd be, it, and it would be solid within a matter of a few hours. So this is a diver looking at some of the foundations that Herod poured underwater. And uh, we were surprised to find it because this is only the first century, and we thought they had discovered that much later when they got to England. But obviously they had it because Herod is doing it. So... Um, it's, this is Herod's palace. They preserved part of the flooring. I just took a shot of it so you get an idea of the opulence of his palace. He's right next to the ocean. He can hear the surf. Uh, they have uncovered a, a swimming pool that was salt water, and they uh, cleverly built it at, right at sea level 
So every time that uh, the tide came in, it would overflow into the, uh, the pool, and when it went out, it would drain it, and so it was, a, you know, you don't have to have a filter and all those kind of things. And, uh, and also right next to it, there was a hot springs, and so the, he had a jacuzzi. So he's in that kind of a palace with that kind of flooring at the beach with a jacuzzi and a private pool that's self-cleaning. Yeah, so somebody was not exactly suffering when they went down to do work at Caesarea. Next slide, please. Now, um, Herod um, had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are two Phoenician cities up the coast from Israel, still today, Lebanon today, but then it was Phoenicia. And uh, they were actually free cities in the Roman Empire. In other words, they were not under Herod's uh, control, but they needed food because of the Lebanese mountains that come up right away. There's not much farmland in Lebanon today or the Phoenicians. But they had these harbors where they had all this trade coming into these two cities. So they had trade goods but no food. Well, Israel has, is a food basket if you've been to Israel. And by the way, you should go to Israel sometime in your life, the commercial here again. Uh, but uh, we're going in just a few weeks. Um, in fact, a couple of people couldn't go uh, this weekend. So if you have any interest in going, uh, there's uh, four spots that opened up this week. Um, but if you go there, all these stories will come alive. You know, I'm describing to you the swimming pool and, and Herod's summer palace, but uh, it's not the same as walking through it yourself. And all this starts to make a completely, it brings a whole picture to your mind as you read and study it. So, um, there was a famine, if you were with us in the earlier part of the chapter, there was a, a prophet who said that there would be a famine. God told him to warn the people, and sure enough, it hit. And uh, it, in 43 through 46, and uh, it's hit Tyre and Sidon, but Israel had food because the Galilee region, where Jesus spent a lot of time around Capernaum and Tiberias, uh, was uh, uh, below sea level, about 700 feet below sea level, and it was very warm there. It had plenty of water, and so even if you go today, you'll see banana trees and citrus and uh, uh, all guava fruit and just anything that uh, you would uh, think of as growing in a warm, humid place. So they had they were the, the supplier of food to these cities, Tyre and Sidon. And we don't have a lot of information why these two port cities were upset, but um, they came all together and went down to Caesarea into this amphitheater we just looked at, and they made Blastus, verse 20, the king's personal aide, their friend, which is code for they greased his palm, which is code for they bribed him, okay? They bribed him so they could get together. He would give them an audience with King Herod. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food. 
by the king's country. So there it is all coming together. So he was, uh, Blasius is evidently the chief of staff or treasurer. Uh, it's a personal aid was a, is a broad word in, in Greek that could mean any of those things. So verse 21, on a set day that they had arranged with Blastus, what a great name, Blastus, uh, to have a meeting with Herod, Herod shows up, verse 21, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. I just love to hear politicians speak. They're always so much information that's useful that comes from their lips. Um, a little sarcasm, excuse me. Um, according to Josephus, he wore a garment made out of hammered silver. And evidently, you can hammer silver um, like wire into a, a flat piece of thread. And he made a whole toga. He had a toga made for himself out of silver. Now, we know from secular history, this is a Roman historian, historian I'm about to read to you, to encourage you that the Bible is, of course, true. But every once in a while, we find some archaeology, or in this case, we find a historian, a Roman historian, writing about how Herod died, because it became a very famous story in Roman history. So we know it happened in August of 44, and the guy who is the historian here, his name is Josephus. This is what he wrote. After the completion of the third year of his reign, over the whole of Judea, Agrippa, that's Herod, uh, Herod Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea, where he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. On the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous, it was shiny, uh, he entered the theater at daybreak. There the silver, illuminated by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant, his words, and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. Immediately his flatterers raised their voices from every direction, addressing him as a god. May you be favorable. May you bless us, they were crying out. They added, we agree that you are more than a mortal. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as profane. At once he fell a stab of pain in his heart, and he was also gripped in his stomach by an ache that he felt everywhere at once, and that was intense from the start. He was overcome by more intense pain. They hastened, therefore, to convey him, to carry him to the palace. And you can see how close it was. And the word flashed about to everyone that he was on the very verge of death. Exhausted, after five straight days, by the pain in the, his abdomen, he departed this life in the 54th year of his life, 54 years old. Wow. <laughs> so here's a 
Roman historian who really verifies exactly what Dr. Luke wrote in the book of Acts and gives us actually a little bit more information. Um, he's shimmering in the sunlight, you know, probably something Elton John would want to own. Uh, sorry if you're an Elton John fan. Um, this uh, account is, matches the Bible. Of course, we know the Bible is correct, so there's nothing surprising about that for us, but for the world, it's very surprising that these two events line up perfectly. Verse 22. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Wow. If you ever hear anything like this, my advice to you is run. <laughs> because uh, immediately following that statement, there'll either be lightning or something, you know, kind of like that woodpecker. Um, he should have said, no, it's not me, and given God the honor. It's really not that hard to do unless you have convinced yourself that you are much more than you are. All of us are sinners saved by grace. Herod didn't do it. Instead, he seemed to have agreed with the crowd, and he said, well, I... I am pretty special, aren't I, <laughs> kind of a thing. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he not, did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, a little while back, I had a, a graduate student from one of the local universities come to me and, and say, this is an impossible story. You couldn't have that many worms in you that you would die. So... I brought some pictures for you. Aren't you glad? Ascartus is a common human worm uh, that causes intestinal obstructions year-round. There's an 18-incher. That's a pretty serious worm. Now, and they get into your intestines, and that's from surgery, okay? That is a, a literal surgery shot of a human intestine and those are not french fries up there. <laughs> those are the worms that had obstructed this woman's gut. Please, you can turn it off now. Everybody's ready to throw up in the room. <laughs> um, so I'm, I just, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you because we're going to get to this last scripture that talks about how the Word of God is reliable. And um, so I shared those pictures with this young man who thought he understood biology, but you got to work in a hospital to see this kind of stuff, and it's not stuff that you'd forget. You know, it kind of sticks with you, so to speak. Um, so uh, Herod has got an intestinal obstruction evidently going on we can take from the facts that are delivered here, and it can be fatal. And, and by the way, where do these worms come from? Meat that has not been cooked sufficiently. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's meat on a hoof or meat on a fin. So those of you that like sushi, you need to come and talk to me sometime because <laughs> that's where worms come from, uncooked meat. I don't eat sushi, okay, <laughs> because I used to work in a laboratory that did a lot of work with people who had been in the South Pacific, 
And there's all kinds of worms besides Ascartius that uh, come from uncooked meat. Just fry that fish until it's crispy, okay? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Google it. Check it out. See if I'm telling you the truth. Some of you are doing that right now, so I'm just giving you permission. It's quite good. Um, so, he didn't give the glory to God. He didn't give God the praise that was due to him. This is pride. The Old Testament words for pride, and there are several, all carry the idea of being lofty or, or being swelled up with yourself. In the New Testament, the most common uh, word used for pride is hooper epanos, which, uh, as in Mark 7, 22, literally means to shine above. That's what he's trying to do, to be shiny. Now, uh, to make yourself more visible than others, uh, showing yourself to be better than others. Uh, the second most often used word in the New Testament is tufo, like in 1 Timothy 6, 4, and like this word, means to raise up smoke. I like that. I know a lot of people that blow a lot of smoke <laughs> about who they are <laughs> and what they are. Uh, uh, wrapping yourself in something that looks pretty impressive, but it's nothing more than smoke. That's the Greek word for pride. So it's a feeling that you have it all together, that you don't need anyone else. Pride, of course, we're told by the book of Proverbs, leads to destruction, devastation, and ruin. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a sign of the times in which we live. See if this sounds familiar to you. 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, that in the last days peril, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, well, I'm glad we don't have that problem, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, looking religious, but denying its power. Don't believe in miracles. I believe in God. I just don't believe in miracles. How often have you heard that? And from such people, turn away. God has very strong feelings against pride. Proverbs 16:5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Isaiah 42, 8. For I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. The greatest reason God hates pride is because it keeps his children from seeking him. Since the people who have allowed pride to grow so strong in themselves, they don't think they need anyone else. They don't need God. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God, Psalm 10 verse 4 says. It's not at all, and even in his thoughts. God knows we all need help. <laughs> you know, we're just sinners, 
saved by grace. So there's a kind of poetic justice here in the death of Herod. I'm really God that we don't serve a God that does this regularly, you know. If every time somebody did a dance after scoring a football in the NFL, it would be a real small team <laughs> very quickly. And I'm not saying that rises to the same level that Herod is doing. But you get the point. Um, Herod had killed James, sought to kill Peter, so God took his life. He played the politician, and politics killed him. He, he dressed in such a way to project a splendor which looked godly, evidently the people thought, and yet he died dishonored in, in one of the most horrible, humiliating ways to die, full of worms. Goodness gracious. Remember how that chapter opened, if you were with us, verse 1? Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some in the church. <laughs> Pretty arrogant. Not afraid of God. I have no fear of God. And then he began to act it out. Wow. Okay. That's a, a showstopper, isn't it? Okay. 23. Okay. How about verse 24? I love the first word of this verse, but. It, it appears throughout the Scripture. The Romans were coming against the church, but God. <laughs> um, Luke is wrapping the chapter together, really. Persecution, yes, but prideful rulers will rise and they will fall. But that word spreads and increases the Word of God anyway, because God is in control. The chapter opens with Herod on a rampage, killing, arresting, putting to death church leaders. And this chapter ends with Herod himself struck down. The chapter begins with James martyred, Peter imprisoned, and Herod's influence rising, increasing. But the chapter ends with Herod dead, Peter free and the Word of God increasing. We live in a world where it appears that the whole world is going the wrong direction, and in many ways, our nation is like that. But the Word of God is still increasing, particularly in South America, particularly in Africa, particularly in China and Vietnam. And we forget that it's not all just about our own nation. Not that I'm saying we should look the other way. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees. But the Word of God grows, will continue to grow. And as Jesus said about the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It, it often seems that the church is on the losing end, that there are Christians dying in China and so many... Islamic nations and all over Africa. But the Word of God is increasing. Someone said, the Bible has survived both the ignorance of its friends and the hatred of its enemies. People rage against God and whether or not the Bible's true. 
But the Bible continues to increase in circulation. The most published book on the face of the earth. Verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, you remember Barnabas and Saul were in Antioch up in the northern side of today, right on the border between Syria and Turkey. And uh, there was a big church there, and it would become one of the biggest churches in the world over through the second century, all the way through the fourth century in Antioch. And, um, but they had collected funds from Antioch to take back to Jerusalem because of this famine that was coming. And so they have now delivered the money, and they're going back to where they had come from. They're returning from Jerusalem because they had fulfilled their ministry. And they took with them this young man, uh, John, whose surname was Mark. He's a fascinating character. He is the young man that, uh, whose mother's house, the, really the, it, it appears the Lord's Supper, the, the, the Last Supper, the falling of the Holy Spirit, and the gathering of the people praying for Peter, that it was to this house that he went. John Mark is the son of the woman who opened her home as the first church in Jerusalem. But he would go on to become the young man who traveled with Peter, and Peter told him all the things that he saw eyewitnessed with Jesus, and he wrote the Gospel of Mark. This is the John Mark that is being mentioned here in verse 25. So, um, he is uh, in a different generation than Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul are the, um, the, the boomers, okay? <laughs> Born from 1946 to 1980. And John Mark is a generation Xers. And uh, he's young here and he's gonna make some mistakes, in fact, Paul's going to become so angry at him, he's going to send him back to Jerusalem. But then he would later return and, and, and be very useful to Paul. Paul would later comment on what a useful young man he was. But I use him as an illustration for those of you that are in Generation X that have been born since 1980. Now, I'm not trying to throw off in any way my responsibility to spread the gospel, but those of you that have been born since 1980, you're the next generation. And this go into all the world and preach the gospel is slowly resting on you. And uh, I'm encouraging you to look at the trajectory of your life and uh, ask God where it is that you're supposed to go, how it is that you're supposed to serve him, because you are his hands and his feet as a Barnabas and Saul, they were the human elements of the gospel going. Jesus chose to use human beings to spread 
the gospel. You, you know these things. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. So, um, let's go back and look at verse 24 and close. But the word of God grew and it multiplied. The King James uses the word prevail because multiplied just implies that it got bigger, but it means it's overcoming all its obstacles, so it's, it's more than multiplied. All of us are making a way through a stormy world, have you noticed? <laughs> Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, it, mankind has struggled to make wise decisions about uncertain worldly future. The only way to ensure that we do not go astray is to have an objective source of truth. Not a subjective one, but one that no matter who you are, you look at it, you can see that it's truth. We're living in a time where people say, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. <laughs> no, no. There, there's either truth or there isn't. And so we don't get to have our own little private truth collection. It's Either it is or it isn't. So the only way to ensure that you don't get off the path of your life, what God wants you to do, is to stay connected with his word. It's the only source of objective truth on planet Earth. Just as a compass or a sextant were essential, objective forms of truth for sailors. And then for pilots, and now for <laughs> space shuttles. They measure something, no matter where you measure it, if your instrument is correctly calibrated, you'll get the same answer. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. Uncharted waters, God's Word, can guide us through that uncertainty, difficult circumstances. We must simply trust, <laughs> put our trust in God and his word over our feelings, over our own wisdom, over the contrary advice of others. Well, I don't think you should do that with your life because the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is without error, and we can always trust it. It grew and it multiplied multiplied. It overcame adversaries it encountered. Well, what are adversaries? Well, Paul said to the Ephesians that the adversaries were idolatry, witchcraft, sexual impurity, other sins that plague human communities. God's powerful word frees those in bondage, those who have bound lives are transformed, broken lives are healed. More than 20 years ago, Pastor Bob and I, uh, on a return trip from Israel, tried to smuggle some Bibles into Albania. Albania, at that time, was uh, bragging that it was the first atheistic, communistic, pure nation on earth. <laughs> And uh, that was more than I could handle. So we got a bunch of Albanian Bibles and we went to the border, but there was some kind of rioting going on so we couldn't get through. But we were prevented from delivering them, but only temporarily, and eventually they got in. 
We went because um, on November 9th of that year, um, the, their literary monthly newspaper, it only came out once a month, called Nendori, N-E-N-D-O-R-I, had this as the, the capital, the uh, front page. We are now the first atheist state in the world. However, just 43 years later, in Albania's capital city of Tirana, 40 different churches meet every Sunday morning, including the Calvary Chapel of Tirana. So the majority of Albanians today say they are religious believers. Uh, only 2.5% of the entire nation of Albania claim they are atheists. That's better than America. <laughs> and we've had the gospel the whole time, right? But the word of God grew and multiplied. I, I'm trying to encourage you that God is moving on the earth. The word of God is God's treasure. The psalmist said, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure, Psalm 119, verse 162. So the word of God is not just a treasure, it's a great treasure. Wise people set aside or sacrifice everything to access, receive, or read it. but the Word of God grew. And now we have the, this move from the gospel going to Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria, and now the rest of the book of Acts is dedicated to Paul's three missionary journeys and uh, to his imprisonment and finally going to Rome. But the Word of God went with him, and the Word of God went on to Europe and to the world. So, there's a cost to serve him. John Patton was a famous missionary that I spent some time studying several years ago. He was born in Scotland in 1824. Cool beard. Uh, as a young Christian, he labored in the city, uh, the slums, really, of Glasgow, Scotland, the capital. But he felt that God's call was broader than that, and he needed to go to the ends of the earth based upon what he read in the book of Acts. And so he decided that God was calling him to go to the New Hebrides Islands, which is modern-day Fiji in the South Pacific, um, Others had gone before him, two missionaries, John Williams and James Harris, also a Scotsman, made the first attempt to take the gospel there in 1839. They were clubbed to death and eaten within a matter of minutes after their arrival. Yeah, cannibals. Well, John Patton decided he needed to get married so he, he and his new wife landed there on November 5th in 1858. On February 12th in 1859, she gave birth to a son. Now, on March 3rd, 
She died from complications after childbirth. On March 20th, the baby died. Wow, Pastor, this is a great way to recruit, recruit people to the mission field. Of course, Patton struggled with his grief and his loneliness. Just before his wife died, she expressed her wish that her mother could have been there. And then she added these words. You must not think that I regret coming here and leaving my mother. If I had the same thing to do over again, I would do it with far more pleasure. Yes, with all my heart. No, I do not regret leaving home and friends. Though at the time, I felt it keenly. Her dying words were, not lost, only gone before to be forever with the Lord. Patton lived another 50 years, 82 years old. He devoted himself to the gospel among these cannibals, experiencing many divine deliverances. At the end of his life, he said, Oh, that I had my life to begin again. I, I would consecrate it anew to Jesus in seeking the conversion of the remaining cannibals in the New Hebrides. By that time, he had planted the Word of God on 25 of the 30 islands in the Fiji chain. He worked whatever the cost. May we all commit ourselves to the cause of the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a, a set of missionaries from our church that work in North Africa. I can't tell you where because this goes out on the internet and it would put them in trouble. But they work among the Berber people. Some of you would recognize it's an indigenous tribe really all the way across North Africa from Morocco. But the Ber Berber rugs, uh, those kind of thick woven rugs, uh, they've had the gospel, the Berbers, had it from the first century. Some of those from Pentecost were from North Africa and took the gospel back. So they've had it for 2,000 years. But they have a, a story of a believer, and we're going to close with this, a believer who uh, they call a holy man uh, who was uh, traveling across the desert at night. And... Um, it was so dark he could barely see, and he was in a dry stream bed, he could tell. And as he walked along, uh, suddenly he heard a voice say to him, reach down and pick up some stones and put them in your pocket. And tomorrow you will be both sorry and glad. The man obeyed because he thought he was being robbed. He swooped down and he picked up a handful of pebbles and put them in his pocket. And he went on walking. He, he made a couple of sharp turns to make sure he wasn't being followed. But while walking the next morning, after the sun was up, he, he remembered the command. So he reached into his pocket and he was shocked to find uncut diamonds. The pocket was full of them. And he was glad and he was sorry glad that he had taken some, was sorry that he hadn't taken more. And so it is with God's Word. Would you stand please and we'll pray.
Thank you, Lord, that you tell us that your word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. You said that for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and waters the earth, so your word waters our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you have left for us your word, that unchanging compass for us to keep ourselves on the, the pathway that you have for us. And Lord, again, we always take a moment to give an opportunity for anyone who's visiting. So Lord, we ask that you would speak to anyone here who's not walking with you and give them the grace to surrender. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this evening, maybe you are here for the first time, or maybe you have been with the Lord and you've wandered away. This moment is for you. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to God, would you let me know you're ready by simply looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't do anything to embarrass you, but I'll just acknowledge it, and, and then we'll pray. Anyone here this evening that needs to surrender their life to him? Well, I don't see any hands, so I guess that's a good thing. I guess that means that most of us here are believers. If you're not, I pray this message will go with you and bother you. So, now let me give you the, the blessing of Moses. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. And may your life be so filled with the Holy Spirit's gifts that others see your eyes and they say, what is that in you? God bless you. Have a wonderful evening. Give somebody a hug before you go home. Good night.